I'm Anne-Marie Maffedon, CEO and head Stemet at Stemets, and this is Stemets Say What? Say what? A brand new podcast brought to you by Stemets about what it's really like to break into the fields of STEM and STEAM. And this week's co-host is Lauren. Hello, I'm Lauren Wiley, and this week's guest is Dr. Merritt Moore, and she's answering our four what's on hobbies. In the beginning, the hardest part was putting in all the hours in both physics, because that's 40 hours, 50 hours a week. I mean, it's intense, right, at Harvard. Everyone in my class has been a physics Olympiad, so it's like, that's really intense. And then on top of that, 20 to 30 hours of dance a week, and it's years not just like a week or two or a month. It's like years of putting in super hard work. How are you, Merit? I'm great. Pleasure to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. So I have a very important question. I need you to close your eyes, go back in time, and tell us about the first moment you discovered the magic of STEM. It was so subtle. Like My parents did a good job of just like sneaking it in. I never felt them pushing. Like I, I always thought that I had discovered STEM all by myself. But I do now have like these memories of my table placemats had the periodic table on it. The posters in my bathroom were like of the Nobel Prize winners. And then my dad would take us out onto the balcony at night and we'd look out at the stars. It was like, oh, let's play constellation game. You know, so we'd have these constellation cards and we'd look up in the sky and he would say, oh, do you think there was like one big bang? Is there life out there? What's dark matter? Like what's dark energy? So there's all these questions that came up and just like they snuck it in into my life. And they were not scientists at all. My dad was an entertainment lawyer. My mom was stay-at-home mom. And we went back to college to study the classics. So they weren't into science. And it wasn't just science they fed us, but they just snuck things into our lives. That sounds like the, the best way ever to raise anybody. It's like the Truman Show, but like a slightly <laughs> different version of the Truman Show, where everything is a science reference or no more prizes. Uh, although you haven't mentioned darts, which was my question, because we always say... Where did you start with STEM? But then I want to say, where have you ended up with STEM? Because I think that's the main reason why we've got you on for this episode, for episode nine, looking at hobbies and careers. What does Nobel Prize table mats, periodic table mats and mugs? I'm also thinking like hairbands, you know, like hairbands with elements on them. I'm feeling like maybe that was a part of it as well. Um, where does that end up? <laughs> what does that result in? What, what are you now, Merit? So right now... I guess my career with STEM is with robots. So I did my PhD in quantum physics. And then over the pandemic, I have this passion for dance. Couldn't dance with humans. So I decided to dance with a robot because robots don't get COVID. My STEM life is touring around with this robot performing all over the world. Like was in Switzerland, performed with Boston Ballet at Harvard in front of like Mark Zuckerberg and the Harvard president, Rodzilla. And I'll be adjunct professor at NYU in Abu Dhabi teaching a robotics and creative practice course. That's you are a dancing professor. I mean, there's so many what's. I'm sure there'll be lots of people <laughs> listening that are like, did she really just, huh? Like there's a load of words there that have come together. So let's put them out of their misery. Merit, our first what is, what does being a ballerina have to do with physics? I did not see the connection <laughs> for so long. <laughs> I thought they were worlds apart. I hid from the ballet world that I did physics. I hid from the physics world that I did dance. But I do recognize now, because I first went to Harvard to study physics and then became a professional ballet dancer. Because I started late, 
I didn't have the time in the studio all the time. So I made up for it with my physics knowledge. I would have never made it as a professional ballet dancer without physics. It's so weird, but knowing about projectile motion, understanding like the angle that you take off, understanding Newton's third law, every action has an opposite and equal reaction. I would push down into the ground to get the highest lift in a drawn bout ma. Instead of just like yanking my leg up, I would push into the ground and then be like, earth, lift me up. Understanding torque, moment of inertia during a turn, I approached it in a very experimental way, being like, how are we going to optimize for the moment of inertia so I don't topple over, but also increase the speed based on the radius that I have in my position before I take off for a turn. All of that stuff was so helpful. So oddly, <laughs> they helped each other out. I love this as someone who like also was a kid who liked STEM. And so all the examples of physics are around you and they're in real life. And yeah, like when you do like start to learn little bits of physics, you start to, or at least I started to, maybe I'm a specific kind of person, but you attempt to model it in your real world. So that's basically what you did. Other people had body intuition because they were dancing at three years old and you brought your physics intuition into the space. Yeah. And visualizing. I read all these books about visualizing and I think because I could understand the actual physics of it, I could visualize exactly the scenario that was going to play out and how the physics was going to optimize for a turn or a leap. Because I was short on time, I would just fall asleep and I would just visualize doing the dance moves. And definitely in the physics equations that we did, we had to like draw out, do those projectile motion problems over and over. So that sort of became part of the visualization as well. That's really cool. So so you said that your dance people did not know you were doing physics. The physics people did not know that you were doing dance. Now, now the careers have collapsed themselves. But did you ever imagine that beforehand or was dance like really explicitly a passion project, a hobby and never to be seen with the robots? Never to be seen with the robots. Never thought robots were going to be involved. And I've been trying to quit dance for probably no. over 10 years. Because, <laughs> because I kept being told that like to be a good physicist, I should stop the dancing because I was dancing so much. And so I entered Harvard and I was like, okay, I'm never dancing again. They had all these performing opportunities and I was dancing a lot actually at Harvard. And so then I was auditioning. I got into Zurich Ballet. After Zurich Ballet, I'd made it, threw away the point shoes, threw away the tights. I was like, I'm never going to enter a dance studio ever again. Just never. And then like, <laughs> I just kept getting sucked back in. I wanted to ask one more question, uh, Merit, before we head into our second what, because I think it's really refreshing, actually. There's lots of folks that we have had across the podcast and everyone's gone on their own journey. I think what I'm loving a lot about hearing about yours is we've hit everybody with this idea that they wouldn't have even drawn together, but that you are making this journey, you are creating the journey. And I think whereas it's important to inspire and talk about like all the good things, I think it's also important to like reflect on the fact that it's not really like struggle. I don't want to say like, what are the struggle? What are the challenges? But what has been the resistance that you've had? What's been the nature of the resistance that you've had? I can imagine like you're doing something so, so far out that there will be loads of folks who maybe just don't get it. So what have been your techniques? What have been the things you've ended up saying? Like, is it that actually the dance shuts them up and you're like, you know, just, just wait, just, just wait until you see. And then they're like, Ugh! and then, it, you know, and then, and it's like in the movies or has, are there certain things that you've been like, no, this is a technique. This is something I've had to use to prove. This is something I've had to use to convince. 
this is a diagram that I draw for folks, or this is a paper that I wrote that like, you know, that was the, like, is that what your PhD title was? And then now everyone's like, oh, okay, we get it. Like we, we read the paper. We, we understand. We're just gonna, you know, we're gonna make, let this happen. In the beginning, the hardest part was putting in all the hours in both physics, because that's 40 hours, 50 hours a week. I mean, it's intense, right? At Harvard, everyone in my class has been a physics Olympiad. So it's like, that's really intense. And then on top of that, 20 to 30 hours of dance a week. And it's years, not just like a week or two or a month. It's like years of putting in super hard work and not knowing if it's going to work out. Not knowing if I'll make it into a ballet company, not knowing if I'll make it in physics. And then definitely being told that by doing both, I'm sort of negating the, the possibility. That was also really hard is really blood, sweat and tears, putting everything I had and being like, I don't know if I'm shooting myself in both feet you know, and that I won't make it in either because I'm like trying to pursue both. So that was definitely the hardest part. There is still a feeling in a lot of camps that if you have an outside passion, that it better be just a hobby. And that if it's anything more, it means you're disloyal and that you actually don't like the job that you're doing. So I saw that whenever I put physics also in my resume to ballet companies, like I've been pulled over by directors being like, do you actually like ballet? I would not be auditioning if I didn't like this. But there is that question being like, oh, this girl actually, she doesn't really like this. Or in the physics world being like, oh, we can spend time going to the pub or we can spend time hanging out. But if someone uses that same amount of time to do a passion, it was looked down upon as me, then not working on physics. I'm like, you guys are hanging out the pub. I'm just hanging out at a different bar. You know, it's a ballet bar. But <laughs> so I think that was, and I always felt like I just kept quiet. At the end of the day, I think part of being a physicist is an experimentalist is that at the end of the day, the data and the results speak louder than anything. I actually didn't know if it was going to work out. And I was like, there's no point even having the conversation. If I can make it, or push that limit a little bit farther to give other people hope to do it, then that'll just speak for itself. You've like sparked a little seed of inspiration in me because you're right. Like I <laughs> have a full-time job and hobbies and projects like this for me is like a whole side activity that's really enjoyable. But people do react with like, don't you want to get promoted? Why, why are you always talking about these other projects? Why are you spending all this time on these other projects? And it's like, well, if you want me to show up and like be happy to show up, I want to do this other stuff. It feeds a different skill set and a different part of my spirit so that like everywhere I'm like good vibes and happy. And you grow and you gain a strength and skill sets that people can't even predict. I got this quote from a dance teacher when I was young. Stop beating yourself up to be perfect. Like perfect is replaceable, but unique is irreplaceable. If you do a unique, random, tangential hobby and you don't do the conventional, this is how you do it. Everyone going on that same path is pretty much, in essence, replaceable with anyone else going down that same path because they all have the same skill set. Anything that you do to gain that strength and, and to broaden and in a quirky, different way, I think people discourage the when people are different at the beginning, but then mm. praise it and celebrate it later down the line. Perfect is replaceable. Unique is? Irreplaceable. Irreplaceable. Poetry. Poetry, poetry, poetry. Go for it, Lauren. Go for it, listener, as well. Right, second <laughs> what? 
you are doing lots of different things. And I think as well from your career, the different things aren't even the dance and the physics. They are, you know, the professorship, they are the touring, they are the performing. What is the best way to split your time across this portfolio career, these, if we want to call it a hobby, we can call it a hobby. Although, you know, at this point, I don't know which is the hobby and which is not the hobby. The side hustles. What have you found is the best way to split your time or split your prioritization or... I mean, it's basically time across all of these different things. So I definitely like to write a list of the priorities. So what are the top three priorities? And then make sure that the hours in my day parallel that. So if there's a project that's my top priority, then I block off in the morning because I have to do things in the morning. <laughs> like if I push things into the afternoon, it turns into la-la land. It like doesn't work, whether it's dance or physics. And it definitely the levers change based on I can't go 100% on both all the time. So if there's an exam or experiment, I'm like amp it up to a thousand percent on that. And then I amp up the other one and I go super intense. So that's how I tend to do things. Super deep, super intense on a specific project and like have a baseline of maintenance for the other stuff. If I'm sleeping at the lab doing physics, I'll still commit like an hour or two to stretching or dance. (laughs) But it's changing levers. And always, someone had told me the trick. First thing in the morning, you write down the three things that are most important to you and you make sure that you're devoting time to it. Because I think it's super easy to wake up in the morning, get bombarded by emails and things that are easy to get distracted with, but actually aren't one's priority. And then days go by where zero hours have been committed to the actual like top things on your list. I like what you said about levers. So it's like, you know, obviously pass your exams. Or if there's a performance coming, obviously practice for that. But since I'm stealing this time as like a Lauren advice hour and I like write alongside all the other fun projects, what always happens is urgent things in other corners mean that writing just keeps slipping and sliding off the list. And like I published a book earlier this year and that was a huge project I achieved. After that, it's harder to like anchor to the other smaller projects. So I think people find it easy to pivot for like, an exam or like a manuscript deadline, but maintaining the habit and that kind of, like you said, that maintenance bar of, you know, if you like bake, you should try and bake every weekend and not just like bake a wedding cake because someone, you know, has ordered it since baking is also your side hustle. Like what advice do you have about that maintenance level and making time for stuff? So to be honest, I do have a very lazy side. I know that about myself. When I was at college, and I was trying to keep up my dancing on top of the physics, I would book auditions, but it was mainly to keep up my maintenance. It made me have a deadline. Artificially signed up for things that would force me to have a deadline. The problem is you can always kind of blow off friends because they're super understanding. (laughs) But if you can get a publisher or someone to be like, this is your deadline. Like, I can't tell myself to do anything. I'm like super rebellious with myself. But if someone else tells me, I'm like, okay, we're doing it. (laughs) Like, deadline's here. Are there like qualities you think that you need to be? And and also like, dear listener, we have an episode about freelancing. Check that out. But like from your perspective as someone with a portfolio career, what qualities or skills does someone need to build to, you know, do this well? Well, the fun thing is, I think that everyone has their own amazing qualities. Everyone has their deck of cards and it's figuring out what one's strengths are. I hear a lot of talk of like, oh, one needs to be confident. And like, personally, I'm not sure I'm the most confident person, but I make up for it 
because I've got the fearless. That's been my strength is that I'll approach a scenario where I think people will be like, I'm going to back away. And I just, I really lean in. I do think that like everyone has their set of qualities that really work. I know for me, I can be super resilient. If someone says, I need to do it for an hour, I have the endurance and I will be there for two hours. If people show up five minutes early, I'll show up an hour early. I've got that fearless part and super excited about things. But I think everyone has different amazing qualities that is their success qualities. Definitely. And I think you're right, like going on that journey to discover that, being able to say actually and recognize that those things are qualities. So whether it's the dance, whether it's the physics, whether it's the cooking, you know, all the different things, all the different hobbies, I guess, as we've called them or side hustles as we could have, I think it is recognizing them and being like, yeah, these things are all additive and they make me better rather than things that confuse or diminish one thing or the other. It's time for our third what. And I'm making a big assumption in this question. So Hedy Lamar physicist that I'm sure you know and aware of, um, one of my favorite people that I, I like to talk about all the time, was a Hollywood actress and a physicist, which is very close to you, Merit, but not the same as you. There are lots of folks who do really interesting things and smush things together and build careers from them. And I wonder whether there's ever been a time or whether there's been anything, maybe as you've got older, that you've noticed that you're like, oh, that person kind of did what I want to do that's my role model, that's someone who I want to emulate or that's someone who I want to compare notes with or, you know, someone that I'm like, I know I'm doing okay and I know that this is like within the bounds of reality because this person did it or are you more of your own role model? And I know I'm talking a lot, but I'm asking this question because people ask me this all the time. They're like, who was your role model, Amory, when you did all this stuff? And I was like, well, I like the technology and I just did the technology. And so every day when I wake up, I'm like, I just want to do the things that I enjoy doing and we're going to see <laughs> where they go. But the older I've got, the more I've been like, huh, there's someone called Stephanie Shirley. And oh my goodness, there's someone called Gladys West. And yeah, there's someone called Hedy Lamar. And so actually they're my role models now. What has been your guiding star really? has Have you had a role model? Are you your own role model? And what's it like being your own role model? I mean, I love reading biographies, just reading about people's past. And I it's kind of like a mush pot of, oh, that was super clever how they did that. Or, or they did it in a weird way. And by reading different biographies, you just see like everyone has a totally different path. So the one that I just read was about Walt Disney. It was just a really interesting insight into his work ethic and drive and passion. And you would not expect that personality to have created Disneyland. So that was the latest biography that I just read. A big question I have for you is about, you know, the people around you supporting this journey. So every, I'm sure many people's STEM stories has like a specific teacher or a classmate. Do you have mentors, allies, sponsors, networks, accountability partners, a dance friend, a physics friend? Like what's that web of people like for you? I definitely, it's super important for me to keep up the motivation and inspiration. I didn't realize how much I relied on that until the pandemic. I am happy on my own. <laughs> I like my time in my pajamas. We are good. <laughs> but during the pandemic, I just realized I was taken away from the mentors and support system and the friends and everyone that's around me. My entire life, I've had really phenomenal mentors, especially in dance, where they take me under their wing. I slept on the kitchen floor of my Italian dance teacher's place. 
She would train me. Then I would stay and stretch for two hours. She would make lunch. I would come back and have lunch with her. I would nap and then we'd watch ballet videos for like three hours. And then she'd train me at night on the bus. She'd be like poking me to like make sure I had my crooked posture. And she'd be like, you want to be a professional dancer in the studio? You have to be a professional dancer on the street. It was not just in the studio. It was a life mentor. And I've had phenomenal teachers like that. Josie Walsh, also someone who I'm going to go dance for her. And I've known her for 20 years. And she was one of the first people that I trained with who just, she gave me that badass, like force of nature. I can do whatever I put my mind to type of mentality. I've been super fortunate to have those type of people around me. All my human angels out there who have really helped me out. I love the term human angels, definitely stealing it. For someone who's, you know, looking to have human angels, like how how do you find them? How do you formally ask to move mm-hmm. into someone's kitchen and train 24-7? I do think that you have to put in 500% for them to start putting in the investment. Like I get these incredible mentors, but I've proved that I'm putting everything I have and more. I think they know that I treasure every input they give. So when I get an input and I value it, they give me correction. Like I'll work on it for three hours on my own, right? So I think they get gratification by knowing that by what they're saying to me, I'm absorbing it and I'm pushing it to the nth level. We love to pass knowledge on and and I think as humans, it just makes us happy. And so especially people who have so much experience It's almost a gift for them to be able to pass that on. And so for someone to really listen to them and absorb it, I think is the best gift in the world. If you show your appreciation and really absorb what they're saying, you're actually gifting them. You're not really asking them or taking anything away from them. You're actually giving them a gift. Awesome. And I think I think it's a great one. There's the gift of feedback and the gift of that relationship that kind of comes from one side, but there is also that gift of like growing, right? And like you're saying, that gift of being responsive. I think it's definitely something that we end up talking to folks a little bit actually at the beginning of their mentoring journeys when they join the students to met program at the Mets, where it's like, yeah, that person is giving a lot and here's how you can give back. And it does end up being like a two-way conversation throughout their mentoring relationship whether it's sponsorship you know but even more so to say actually it's not just about you taking and you feeling like you're the lesser but actually there's a lot that you can give by being thankful by being responsive by listening by you know respecting folks through the way that you communicate with them and all the rest of it love that answer we're on to our final what can't even imagine that we're almost at the end of this conversation i feel like there's still so much yet for us to learn So fourth, what is, what are the best ways to grow your proficiency and competency? And I think on this, you know, we've branded and themed this whole podcast episode about hobbies and the relationship between hobbies and your career. And I think it's something that we often maybe don't get to reflect on as much with folks when we are talking about, you know, as you have, like there's benefits in one side that get added to the other. And we talk so much about learning and development in your career and training and, you know, all that kind of growth on that side. What have been the best ways to grow in proficiency and competency in your hobbies? And this is in your outside work interest, but also across dance. And what have been the learnings, I guess, you've had? Like, as you've become a better dancer, what have been the learnings for physics? As you become a better physicist, what have been the learnings for dance? And have you made sure that you're continually getting better and continuously improving? Yeah, it's such a dilemma because I think it's a beautiful time where we're understanding that we need that breadth and like we can take things from different fields. 
but also I think the strength is if people can go super deep and going super deep takes a ton of time. And so it's always such a tricky balance of how do you make sure that you're putting enough time into various things that it's making an impact and, and you're gaining, you're getting to an expert level that then I think gives you that strength and that power and differentiates you a bit. It's awareness of time and then knowing that habits are super powerful. And so forming in your day habits in which you make sure that you're devoting time to things that are most important to you. I do kind of believe in the 10,000 hours philosophy. I think there's a smart way of doing it. Mindlessly doing the same thing over and over at a computer is not going to help you. But you can't be an expert by just wishing it and sitting on the sofa. You actually have to be actively working to learn it and to experience it and to get even better. It's that mix of dividing time, which is, I think, super tricky. I have a couple of questions from our listeners, our human angels, that I need to ask you before you wrap up this conversation. The first question is from Holly M. Hi, Holly. They are asking, how do you decide if a course is worth it? You talked a bit earlier about investing in yourself and, you know, booking the flights and training pretty intensely for a period of time. If someone's hobby or side hustle, whatever this project is, could be enhanced by some kind of developmental course, what's the decision criteria before they make the money investment? So I always invest in the lessons. You know, I obviously try to budget and and find the right deal or whatever it is, but I make sure that then I put the money where my mouth is. Like I, I do the work. If I'm investing in a coaching class, I'll make sure that I stay an hour before and an hour after to make the most of it. If people feel like they're really gaining from the course, I say 100% do it. Why wait? I think it's also something of being able to kind of once you've had the investments and like learn from them is also then reflect back and be like, okay, cool. What courses have worked for me in the past? Like what's something that has really like given me the growth? What's been the platform it's happened on? Who's been the person that's taught it? What's been the way the curriculum's been set up? And then actually use that as learning for as you go forward. But I think the other thing is ask around. Like we have this on the Stemet Society all the time. People are like, you know, I'm about to do this. And people have said we should use this platform. What do you think? You know, like I actually I've just used this and it's great if anyone wants to learn Python. Like here's the thing to go to. So I think it's definitely being a part of a network or a community where you can compare notes on courses also helps because yeah sometimes it can be daunting some courses cost quite a lot as well right so I think there's definitely that kind of learning know how you learn and maybe courses aren't the main way or the only way for you to learn and aren't the best way that you learn and maybe that's courses in person versus courses online versus we all have those like that's the, the meme you see right of like all the courses that you've started, like online open courses that you've started, just kind of while you're like there coming in with like signed up for a brand new one. But also to share when something does work well as well and pass it forward. There's another question. Emily B. Hi, Emily. Is asking, how do you maintain a good work-life balance whilst doing one of these intense courses? I think for every person, it's different. I found the balance that makes me super happy of the times where I chill out and chill with friends and invest in relationship and the time that I'm working, you can't beat yourself up. 
I think for sure, if you're trying mm-hmm. your hardest and you've got a lot of things on the plate and things are falling off, I, the number one thing is I know that myself, ta- like I don't beat myself up. I'm like, I'm trying the best I can. <laughs> yeah, be kind to oneself and just be like, we try. But I think if if there's younger people listening, I would say, but never be in a situation where you feel uncomfortable. Like if you're not having fun in a social situation, leave. <laughs> Time's too precious. Leave and do work. I swear you will find your tribe where it feels exactly where you're meant to be and like who you're meant to be around. A lot of time is wasted when the young are forcing themselves into situations that they really don't need to be wasted, you know. My final question, a little bit of a segue here. You were on the BBC Two show. I'm going to call it the astronaut show. I can't remember what it was. How to be an astronaut? Who thinks they can be an astronaut? Astronauts can happen it takes. There we go. You, <laughs> you, you got it. Um, was that fun? Why did you do the show, first of all? Yeah, look at Lauren's face. Listeners are like, oh my goodness, I know I recognize that what? voice from somewhere. Did you have fun? And why did you do the show? And I still think you have what it takes to be an astronaut, even though they didn't pick you on the show. I'm just going to say that, you know, just <laughs> yeah. between me, me, you, I and Lauren. would love to. It was never on my radar to be an astronaut. And then it just opened up my eyes. Like I was finishing on my PhD. And here's this opportunity to lock me up without my computer or cell phone for many weeks at a time. And they had astronaut Chris Tadfield designed all of these crazy, like, astronaut type of programs that we had to achieve in order to get to the next round. And you really designed it so that we could put it on a resume saying like, look, we got this far. It was super. Like the first day they threw us in a helicopter to like hover ourselves. And normally people spend weeks in a simulator before even getting off the ground. I was like, oh, hi, this is no biggie. Or they put us in a dunker where they we crashed into water and flipped us upside down and then we had to like break out through the window. I mean, it was so wonderful and and, and incredible. Um, but it, it definitely, I was like, I want to go dance on the moon. Like that's part of the reason why I'm working with these robots. Look, I think the future in space and here on Earth is robotics. So if I gain an expertise in robotics in a playful way, Einstein said play is the highest form of research. So I was like, okay, we're going to play. This is going to be research. I'm going to become an expert in robotics. And then it gives me a better opportunity because I do think robotics is going to be massive in outer space. Eyes on the moon. That's where I want to go. I am obsessed with that. The When you were describing it, I was just like, this sounds like wipeouts. Like, this, this sounds dangerous. But also, like, who else has done that literally once in a lifetime experience? So intense. It was mainly intense because you don't get any feedback. You have no idea how you did. Normally we get grades. Normally we get feedback. But during the whole process, it's like you can't talk to the outside world. It's its own. It's a whole thing. But it was, it was really great. And everyone involved was absolutely amazing. Are you considering going back? Or like maybe not going back to the specific show, but like still becoming yeah. a dancer, astronaut, physicist? Yeah. I mean, the amazing thing was that, and I think more opportunities this like this will exist is, for instance, billionaire Yusaku Mazawa wants to take eight artists around the moon. A million people applied. I went through this whole process of interviews and medical tests. I can't talk too much about it, but they publicly announced I was down to the final 20 and they'll announce when they want to announce. But it's stuff like that where it's not far away for all of us to go into outer space at all. But yeah, definitely 
eyes are continually in that direction. I started my piloting license. It got paused because of pandemic and I'm in a, on the other side of the world. Yeah, we'll just see how things progress. Listeners, please Google random stuff. Allow these like surprise opportunities to come to you. Well, thank you so much for today, Dr. Merritt. It has been such a fun, surprising conversation. Where can our listeners find out more about you and the work that you do? Instagram is probably where I'm most active. Physics on point, with an E at the end. And my website, Physics on Point. Twitter, Physics on Point. Everywhere, Physics on Point. Physics is all on point. Thank you very much, Dr. Merritt. And a big thank you to my co-host, Lauren. You've been listening to Stamet Say What? What? All the what's. A podcast brought to you by Stamets. To find out more about Stamets, visit stamets.org. That's S-T-E-M-E-T-T-E-S.org. Or you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, and YouTube via the handle Stamets. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so that you get the latest episode in your feed as soon as it's released. And while you're there, please leave us a review and let us know what you thought. I'm Lauren. And I'm Amory Maffedon. Bye for now. This podcast is produced by Unedited.